Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Revolution 250 podcast. Revolution 250 is a consortium of about 70 groups in Massachusetts looking at ways to commemorate the beginnings of the American Revolution. I'm Bob Allison. I am the co-chair of the Rev 250 advisory group, and our guest today is Cassandra Good. Welcome, Cassandra. Thanks so much for having me. And Cassandra Good is an historian and a writer. She's right now an associate professor of history at Marymount University in Washington. She's also taught at George Washington University and at the University of Mary Washington, which is actually from the Washington, D.C. area. And in Mary Washington, she also was an associate editor of the papers of James Monroe. After getting her doctorate at the University of Pennsylvania, she worked at the Smithsonian. She was the director of our uh, manager of public of public programs and um, scholarly scholarly public publications and public programs, I think was the title. Um, anyway, I have more things I could say about you, but let's get to you and your books. Um, your first book was Founding Friendships, which really is a novel, innovative way of looking at relationships among people in the founding era. And your new book is First Family, George Washington's Heirs in the Making of America. So let's, uh, so this is a fascinating book. You're looking at we know Washington, father of his country, his wife, Martha. They're, uh, I hate to use the word icons, but they are iconic in American history. And then we know much less about the family that they had around them because they didn't have children of their own, but Martha brought with her two children from her first marriage or her others had died in infancy. And those become Washington's surrogate children and then the grandchildren they also raised. Right. And, you know, most people, when they think about George Washington, they think he had no children. And he's portrayed as, and even in some of the famous lines about him from eulogies, you know, that he had no children. And so Americans, you were all Washington's children. And that's really a narrow definition of having children. That's, you know, having biological children, which he did not have. But he raised a lot of children in addition to these two step children from Martha and um, the grandchildren, there are nieces and nephews coming out of his house all the time, but he's really the key father figure first for uh, Jackie and Patty, the children of Martha from her first marriage, and then for Jackie's children, especially the younger two, Nellie and Wash, who were basically adopted um, by the Washingtons. There was no legal form of adoption, but they were raised at Mount Vernon and then in the president's house with George and Martha as their parents, essentially. So what was childhood like then for, um, first for Jackie and his sister, and then for, you know, the two grandchildren, Nellie and Wash, who come in. And by the way, his name was George Washington Park Custis. Yes. And that's why I say Wash, because it's a mouthful to say the full name there. And they all have Park in their middle name as part of a long family tradition. But, you know, for Jackie and Patty moving there, they were young children at the point that they moved to Mount Vernon. The house was much smaller when they moved there. Um, You know, they're living in some sense the life of fairly upper crust Virginia planters because of Martha's money, not because of George's money. And as they're growing up, of course, George um, 
is involved in some political and some military action. So he's not always there. Martha is clearly the primary parent here until Jackie goes to school. Mm. And and that's fairly normal at this period that yeah. the mother is going to do the primary parenting until the kid goes to school. And then you see these struggles. Jackie was not a great student mm-hmm. and um, is not able to finish college despite his stepfather's great efforts to get him to finish college. And he ultimately drops out to get married very young um, and quickly have a bunch of children. Yeah. He has a lot of children. He has, um, he does. And then his widow goes on to have four, he has, they have seven. And then she she goes on to have 14 more with her second husband. Right. And not all these children survive. Right. Right. Um, But yeah, and this is probably part of why she died fairly young mm-hmm. is just having that many children. Right, yeah. There was a sense, you know, that her body had sort of worn right. down at a certain point. Um, but yes, yeah, she was very young when she got mm-hmm. married. And so mm-hmm. she was having children and grandchildren basically mm-hmm. at the same time because of the span and ages. Right. And we don't know that much about her children with her second husband. Mm-hmm. Some, of, some of their letters survive. Um, they sometimes show up with the Custis grandchildren, mm-hmm. they clearly do have a relationship, but they're mm-hmm. not publicly known the way the Custis grandchildren are right. because right. the Custis grandchildren are around when George Washington is president. Right. And even the elder two, so I'd said Nellie and Washer, basically adopted mm-hmm. by George and Martha, mm-hmm. the elder two, Eliza and Patty, spend time in the president's house in Philadelphia. They come mm-hmm. to visit, people know who they are. They are also famous. And, you know, so because of this time in the 1790s and the presidency, they are really the nation's first, first family. Mm -hmm. And do they get a lot of attention then as they're growing up as the first family? Absolutely. Nellie and Wash more so. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they're participating even, you know, in New York when they first get there, there's this huge welcoming parade. Mm -hmm. They're participating in public events. So just like we expect now when the president goes to a big ceremonial event, often Mm -hmm. his family comes with him. That was happening at this point. Mm -hmm. We know that Wash dressed in like some kids army regimentals to be in a parade. Nellie constantly had people asking her to play music, asking to see examples of her art. Mm -hmm. She's famous enough that at the end of the presidency, there, you know, we know there are wax figures of George Washington. There's also Martha, but there's a place that has Nellie too. Wow, She's famous enough. She gets a wax figure. So I think that gives you some sense of her celebrity. Yeah. And then as adults, they all buy or they they marry and they purchase land around what becomes the city of Washington, usually on hills in Georgetown and Alexandria and Arlington. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about what they're doing then as adults in this new nation, which is really the focus of your book. Yeah. So actually, two of them inherit the land. So Mm -hmm. Nellie um, marries George Washington's nephew, Lawrence Lewis, who, Mm -hmm. interestingly, is the one who was supposed to look the most like George. Mm -hmm read into that what you will, but George gave them, he basically had five farms in Mount Vernon. He gave Mm -hmm. them one of the farms and they turned that into Woodlawn Plantation and built a house there. And then Wash inherited land um, of his father's that his father had bought along the Potomac River um, in what is now Arlington. And Arlington was part of Washington, D.C. at this point. Mm -hmm. 
uh, which has implications in several ways for him that we can mm -hmm. talk about in terms of the yeah. laws and whether he can vote mm -hmm. and how enslaved people are treated. Um, so he gets a plot of land there and he also inherits a huge amount of land in the Tidewater, Virginia. Um, and that is actually the main source of his income. And then mm -hmm. we have Patty who marries Thomas Peter. And yes, mm -hmm. they buy uh, a plot of land in Georgetown that is pretty much the highest point in Georgetown. And supposedly you could see across from their house that they built there to Arlington House, Wash's oh, wow. house. They supposedly mm. could flag to each other mm. between these houses. You can't, because of the trees now, mm -hmm. see between the two, uh, mm -hmm. but they're fairly close to each other. And then Eliza, the eldest, marries this man, Thomas Law, mm -hmm. and he's basically a real estate developer in DC. Yeah. So they moved to a bunch mm -hmm. of different houses. One of them, that is often called the honeymoon house that they lived in right after they got married is still standing mm -hmm. and is on the Southwest waterfront in DC has recently been restored by a private owner. Mm -hmm. But after her separation from her husband, she also bought a farm of her own that she called Mount Washington. Oh, wow. um, not on as big of a hill, but no. uh, in Alexandria. And it is now part of the campus of the Episcopal school. So that building is still there. But then wow. after that, she's basically, Peripatetic does not have oh, yeah. her own home. Yeah, well, it's very life. unusual to divorce in that period, too. Yeah, well, and interestingly, they initially separate versus mm -hmm. divorcing, mm -hmm. in part because there's ways that it's better for a woman at that time. First of all, with the custody arrangement, they had a child. Mm -hmm. Men automatically got custody in a divorce wow. uh, at that point. The other thing is that there's less public notoriety. Um, and she can, so they have a separation agreement, a legal agreement mm -hmm. that male family members sign on her behalf. Mm -hmm. And actually when she buys that farm, she has to, you know, show, yes, I'm married to Thomas Law, but this has nothing to do with him. I'm separated from him. She lives there a few years. And then Thomas Law at a certain point decides he wants a divorce, perhaps because mm -hmm. he's thinking of marrying again. And she is not happy. Mm -hmm it does bring additional notoriety. It was bad All enough right. with the gossip when they separated. Uh, but then when they get divorced, everybody, she says everybody in Washington has heard that the divorce has gone through before she even finds out. Wow. And she starts going by her maiden name again, so, but Mrs. So she's Mrs. Custis. Mm. Um, and is, you know, mm. kind of notorious because of this. She has a number of interesting relationships later on with these various unscrupulous foreigners who show up uh not to cast dispersions on unscrupulous foreigners but well kind of yes <laughs> right there are these adventures coming through dc especially although some up one of them actually had started out in boston around the mm -hmm. time of the war of 1812 mm -hmm. doing things like trying to sell intelligence to the u.s government right, yeah. that is faulty mm -hmm. um or trying to secretly foment a rebellion in mm -hmm. some territory, or trying to escape um, going to jail in their home country. Yeah. She's got several people that she meets and befriends where that's yeah. the situation, including this guy, this French guy, Francois Denis de Greff, mm -hmm. who had gotten in trouble for gambling in the French military and gets kicked out and comes over to the US. And Everybody else seems to know that he's yeah. a fake, yeah. <laughs> except Eliza <laughs> yeah. is, you know, convinced he's a real deal. She also loves the French to the yeah. point that, you know, she thinks Napoleon is okay, right. which is a pretty extreme position. And her siblings disagree about that. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, and she's the only one who's a Democratic Republican. The siblings are all Federalists. And Mm -hmm. so they definitely don't agree on politics. She'd also been friendly with Aaron Burr. Yeah, yeah. She was good friends with Aaron Burr. And, you know, in the letter he wrote to his daughter before the duel with Hamilton, Mm -hmm. the last thing he says in there is, you know, tell Mrs. Custis hello. So, you know, clearly they were close friends. Mm. Um, And... I don't think she was ever particularly close with Jefferson, but she does no. become close mm-hmm. with the Madisons. Yeah. yeah. And DeGreff, she compares to her grandfather. So that's, you know, that's, yes. That's, right. That, that, you know, to try and legitimize things. But also he, for some reason, I've never been able to figure out, he goes back to France and supposedly needs to get approval from the military. He's trying to get his commission back mm-hmm. and he needs to get approval to get married. Mm-hmm. And he says you know, I'm marrying George Washington's granddaughter mm-hmm. as yeah. a sort of, yeah. he's not given permission <laughs> and he ends up dying by suicide, wow. um, which Eliza blames on all the stories spreading about terrible things he has done, including by a French American friend of hers mm. whose house she will later show up at and die. Um, oh. <laughs> so wow. she's got a very dramatic life. Yeah. It really, it really is. It's really fun. We're talking with Cassandra Good, who is an historian, author of uh, First Family. Uh, well, then these research for this book, you did a tremendous amount, but it was supported by grants from Mount Vernon, as well as the Virginia Museum of History and Culture and the National Endowment for the Humanities. And phenomenal research. I mean, untangling this, getting, you know, tracing these people through generations and actually getting these extraordinary stories. And... Yeah, I mean, it took a dozen years of research. Mm-hmm. I first started working on this that long ago. Wow. Um, and that's part of why it took, you know, fellowship funding to yeah. do this. But, you know, a lot of the material is at Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. Um, while they don't have that much original George Washington correspondence, mm-hmm. they have all the Custis family stuff, okay. or a lot of it. The other biggest collection is at the Virginia Museum of History and Culture, okay. much of which is in this collection that had been in these trunks that were in a bank vault mm-hmm. until about 20 years ago. And they were not made available until the last 10 or so years, I think. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of material in there. Wow. So- the other thing that that took a long time to piece together was the slavery aspect of oh, this, right, because- right. You know, these are some of the largest enslavers in Virginia, Mm -hmm. and the bulk of the people enslaved at Mount Vernon end up with the Custises still Mm -hmm. in slavery. Um, And so tracing them hadn't really done before. Yeah. And that's phenomenal, too, because there are family relationships among the enslaved people as well as among the enslaved people and the Custises. And then with George and Martha's death, George sets free his enslaved people. He can't free the Custis slaves. And then there's divided up. Right. Uh, Not according to family, but according to who gets whom. Yeah. I mean, some of the families are kept together, but then Mm -hmm. you can see that the Custises are dividing the... Uh, dower slaves, we call them four mm. ways, and there's plenty of families that get split up, yeah. and they don't seem to be very concerned about that. Um, they show no interest in emancipating mm-hmm. um, all of the enslaved people. Now, mm-hmm. both Wash and Eliza do emancipate some people. Mm-hmm. From what I can tell, they're mostly emancipating people they're related to. Wow. Um, because Eliza and her husband, Thomas, emancipate a man named William Coston and his mm-hmm. extended family. Mm-hmm. 
there's pretty good evidence that William Costin was the Custis's half brother, that Jackie had a child by an enslaved woman named Mm -hmm. Anne or Nancy Holmes. And it's a complicated story. There's Mm -hmm. been a lot of Mm -hmm. uh, sort of misinformation or misunderstanding about who exactly this woman was Mm -hmm. that I think we still haven't fully untangled. But William Costin becomes a very prominent black citizen in Washington, becomes a property owner, owns multiple homes, stays in touch with the Custises. He works for the bank and um, is very well respected Mm -hmm. in the city. And it seems, you know, he was born into slavery Mm -hmm. and freed Mm -hmm. and probably the half sibling. So he would have been then um, Jackie's son, that is yes. Washington's stepson. Son. And, yes. And then he marries a woman named Philadelphia Judge. And her, yes. And, and it's her sister, Ona Judge, if you've read Never Caught, yeah. the story about um, the enslaved woman who freed herself from the president's house in Philadelphia and makes it up to New Hampshire. And really remarkable story. Mm -hmm. And Philadelphia or Delphi was also a dower slave. And so it, you know, may be that Costin actually met her in Eliza Custis's household. Hmm. We don't really know, but they have children and those children are freed um, Mm -hmm. also a Mm -hmm. little bit after Costin gets freed. Okay. It's fascinating. These fascinating connections that you're able then to piece out and give us a much fuller picture of who these people are and what life was like. I mean, we, you know, sometimes you have a famous family, but they give us really a window into what life was like for people who weren't related to George Washington. But for them, you know, that's the one thing they keep having, even though it doesn't really bring them that much in the New Republic, I think. I mean, it brings them at least the white family celebrity, right? right? I think in terms of, you know, for Costin, for instance, if people Mm -hmm. knew he was related to the Custises, in his lifetime, nobody recorded it no. in a way I've yeah. ever found. Mm-hmm. But soon after, there's a record in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the the white family members, you know, they can't necessarily get political power directly mm-hmm. from this because a three out of the four of them are women, mm-hmm. so they can't get elected political power. Right. I would argue they get other kinds of political power yeah. um, and influence. They know. The presidents, they know the people in power, they can sort of represent their positions as the Washington legacy right. and be taken seriously in that sense. Mm-hmm. Wash Custis is the only one who, as a male, could have run for office or yeah. vote, but he's living in Washington, D.C., which mm-hmm. means he can't do either of those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. He cannot vote for president. It's national news when he votes for president for the first time in 1848. Wow. Because Arlington County has been retroceded mm-hmm. from D.C. into Virginia. So he can now vote for president. Um, There's residents of Washington, D.C. couldn't vote for president until the 20th century. So, yeah, it becomes national news. He's a big Zachary Taylor fan, as is Nellie. They think Mm -hmm. Zachary Taylor is the second coming of George Washington uh, because he's a military hero, basically. Some of them thought Andrew Jackson was the second coming of George Washington. Yes, they also loved Andrew Jackson, Mm -hmm. which the fact that these people are formerly high federalist doesn't really make sense yeah but in the sense that jackson is a military hero and one of jackson's sort of wards adopted children Mm -hmm. marries nelly's daughter and so they have that family connection too right right and then um patty custis peter has a daughter born in 1815 with a great name of britannia wellington peter 
Yes. And I mean, this is telling because that Wellington is not, neither of those names are random. I mean, this is several months after the British with Wellington's troops Mm -hmm. have burned Washington, D.C., which Patty watched happen Mm. from the hill in Georgetown, Mm -hmm. comes down and meets the soldiers several days later. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, they're such gentlemen. And then names her daughter Britannia Wellington. She had earlier had two daughters, one named Columbia and one named America. So she's right. These aren't just uh, random names. She's choosing. Right. Although, interestingly, with her son's names, she doesn't do this. Um, She has typical boys' names for them. But for the daughters, yes, she has these unusual names. And she is definitely very pro-English, even when the English are burning Washington. Yeah. Because they they see the French as also the enemy. and uh, and, And then Britannia lives until... The 20th century is an amazing thing. Yeah, Britannia lives a really long time, and she stays at Tudor Place during mm-hmm. that time. That house actually stays in the family until late in the 20th century before mm-hmm. it becomes a museum. Mm-hmm. And so she has a lot of family stories and reminiscences mm-hmm. that she and her grand, her grandchildren end up recording. And there's a published version of that by um, Grant Quatermus that came out mm-hmm soon enough before my book that I was able to cite it, fortunately. Uh, So she has a lot of good stories that, you know, she either heard from her mother or experienced herself with Mm -hmm. meeting these people. Wow. It's amazing. And George Washington leaves Mount Vernon to a Washington nephew, Bushrod Washington's justice of the Supreme Court. And there does seem to be a schism between the Custises and the Washingtons. You might note that at the dedication of the Washington Monument, only Washington, people named Washington are invited, none of the Custises even yeah, though they're the ones who had the closer connection. Right. Well, so there's a couple of things happening there. So during when Bushrod inherits Mount Vernon, the Custis siblings basically have to leave their home. Wash mm-hmm. and Nellie are still living in that house at the point mm-hmm. that Martha dies in 1802 and Bushrod shows up. And they mm-hmm. are apparently not very polite to him when he yeah. shows up. I will say, though, that after... He actually moves in and, you know, he's living fairly close to Nellie. They do have a friendly relationship. Mm-hmm. They have dinner with each other sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, they do keep in touch with some of the Washington cousins. Now, the Washingtons, you'd think having that last name would also mm-hmm. be famous and yeah. could be claiming Washington's legacy, but they choose not to. Mm-hmm. Bushrod does not seem, he seems to want to be known on his own terms. Right. And in his obituary, it doesn't even mention that he was related to George Washington. Mm-hmm. So that's partially a choice by the Washingtons. By the time we get to the dedication of the Washington Monument in the 1880s, I don't think that's necessarily about a schism between the Washingtons and Custises as much as it is about the public has forgotten who the Custises are. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, the obvious thing if you're finding Washington's family members is to look for people with the same right. last name. Right. Yeah. And I think the reason for that forgetting has a lot to do with the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is because Wash's only white daughter marries mm-hmm. Robert E. Lee. Uh, and Robert E. Lee makes the decision, which other Southern mm-hmm. West Point officers did not make, to side with the Confederacy. Right. And to the extent that the North is controlling memory of the Civil War, mm-hmm. um, that yeah. is a treasonous right. act that severs. Yeah. He had been tied to George Washington through his yeah. marriage to the Custises. Right. That sort of severs the Custises mm-hmm. 
from Washington's legacy, at least for people in the North. And that memory seems to sort of predominate. And so I think that's part of how the family sort of falls out of favor. Also, you know, the the four siblings had all died by then and their children do not seem as interested in carrying this on. They don't have as much of the objects necessarily. You know, some of that stuff has been, some of it was taken from Arlington House by the government. Some Mm -hmm. of it was sold to the Smithsonian. Mm -hmm. Um, At Tudor Place, they still had this stuff. Britannia is probably the only one who's still sort of famous as a Mm -hmm. Washington relative at this point. Interesting. We're we're talking with Cassandra Good, historian, author of First Family, George Washington's Heirs and the Making of America, which looks at these extraordinary um, grandchildren of Martha Washington, adopted children of George Washington, and their legacy in the early Republican. Wash also, I, I, when Mount Vernon then is uh, taken over by Bushrod Washington, they do try to buy up a lot of the Washington memorabilia and then keep it and become curators. And Wash Custis really does seem to become the public face of this, the wanting to present George Washington. He's... Um, really doing a lot to perpetuate a legacy, which it doesn't seem like the Washington legacy would need perpetuating, but having this person with a direct tie to Washington, it's very important in the early Republic. Right. And this idea of these relics that are almost like sacred relics because Mm -hmm. George Washington has touched them. You didn't go to Mount Vernon for those. Mount Vernon is basically Mm -hmm. empty when Bushrod inherits it because by the terms of Martha's will, she had said all the contents of the house would be sold at auction Mm -hmm. and the proceeds would pay for some nephew's education and wash buys the most stuff Mm -hmm. um partially they're buying stuff to furnish their new homes but he's clearly buying more than he needs and he Mm -hmm. doesn't even have a house yet he has basically a cabin at this point Mm -hmm. that this stuff is crammed into And he's not going to have a finished house to display it in until 1818. So, but that is Arlington House, once it's done, is where people are coming to see Mm -hmm. the actual Washington relics, to hear stories from Mm -hmm. his so-called adopted son. Everybody knows this is not his biological son, but they see him Mm -hmm. as the person that was so close, like probably had the closest contact to George Washington. And then you also uh, you note some of the connections with, you know, Billy Lee, who you say is the most famous enslaved person of the revolution. He was Washington's um, valet manservant, and he's in a lot of the paintings of the time. And then two of his nephews, one of them runs off with the British in 1814 when they're coming up the Potomac. And the other one, Philip, is there when Lafayette returns for a visit. Lafayette spends time with each of these Custis grandchildren in 1824 and 25. Yeah, Lafayette's visit becomes a chance for them to sort of raise their star power again through association because there's so much media coverage of that visit. And yeah, when Lafayette sees Philip Lee, he recognizes him, even though he's never met him, because he looks like his uncle, William or Billy Lee. And Philip is serving as sort of, it sounds like a butler Mm -hmm. um, at Arlington House. His mother, brother, and sister had been... um, separated from him and gone to Woodlawn when that separation happened mm-hmm. in 1802 of all the enslaved people. Yeah. And then, yes, you're right. His, his brother, Michael, um, managed to make it to a British ship in 1814 mm-hmm. and get to Nova Scotia. Philip probably gets emancipated at some point, but we're not mm-hmm. sure. There's mm-hmm. letters suggesting that, you know, discussing 
from Molly, Wash's wife, to Wash, when are you mm. going to free him? You said you would free him. Mm. And so that may happen. Philip is also the one who, whenever George Washington sends, or whenever Wash sends George Washington's camp tent, this mm -hmm. famous revolutionary yes. camp tent, uh, for display somewhere, Philip is the one who takes it and gets it set up wow. and knows how to do that. Mm -hmm. So Philip shows up in the news at various points because of that. Yeah, he was washing. Yeah. And that, that tent is now in the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia. It's their kind of central artifact. Right. A part of it. There's actually multiple tents. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so the Smithsonian has other parts of it. Right. And Yorktown has another part. Yeah. Yeah. And the you best have place it, actually, to see it, yeah, is in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. and then you have it, 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 well, they set it up in Yorktown for Lafayette's visit. They have right. a collation inside it. And it, there's so much great stuff in the book. We're talking with Cassandra Good, author of First Family, about George Washington's descendants and what they do in the early um, Republic. Now, in 1857, when Wash dies, he does free his um Enslaved, enslaved people, but then yes. his executor is Robert E. Lee, kind of drags his feet on doing anything about this. Yeah, the terms of the will are that Wash's debts need to be paid off and like the money needs to be distributed to his grandchildren mm -hmm. before the enslaved people are freed. Mm -hmm. And his finances are a mess. And yeah. so Lee, you know, partly is not that interested in emancipating people yeah. and partly wants to make sure his kids get all this right. money. He doesn't want his kids getting hurt. So he actually goes to court to try and delay this. Yeah. And basically they're, they say, you know, the will said within five years, mm -hmm. interestingly, five years falls at the emancipation proclamation. Yeah. Yeah. So they're sort of, some disagreement among scholars who've looked at this, what has actually freed them? I mean, Lee mm -hmm. writes the orders to free these people a couple of days before the Emancipation Proclamation goes into effect. Who knows if they even mm -hmm. got that before mm -hmm. the Emancipation Proclamation mm -hmm. goes into effect. The Emancipation Proclamation doesn't appear to be applied evenly in Arlington mm -hmm. County either. But mm -hmm. yes, that's messy. And it makes the news, it makes Lee look really bad. Yeah. The other thing Lee does, it's not just that he says, okay, I'm going to drag my feet on this. He wants to make as much money as possible off right. of these enslaved people. So he hires them out. He separates every family but one on the estate. Mm -hmm. And before, those families had been kept together and even recorded with last names. So there was an awareness of family right. groups. Mm -hmm. Lee doesn't care about that. Mm -hmm. well. When people try, there's a couple of people that try to leave for freedom and are caught and Lee has them whipped and have brine poured on their back. Oh my God. This also makes the news. So, mm -hmm. you know, he he denies that he's doing anything wrong mm -hmm. here. But this, again, is not making the Custis family look great in the North. No, no. Wow. And you know, so, so the Civil War, great. I mean, you have these two big nation-splitting cataclysms in their lifetime, the War of 1812, Civil War. And in the War of 1812, you have Wash going to visit see Dolly Madison just before the British are invading Washington. All of them have things to say about the British burning of the capital city. But he goes there to tell her to make sure she gets the Gilbert Stuart portrait of Washington out of the house. Yeah, supposedly, 
this is what happens yeah. here. And it's interesting because yeah. Montpelier has an article on their website about all the different versions of the story mm, yeah. of who is really the one yeah. who saved yeah. this. Yeah. I think it's quite likely that Wash did ride over there. Mm. It was not far for him to mm -hmm. go in and say, yeah, make sure you save this portrait. Mm -hmm. um, he's not the one physically rolling it up, but it is interesting yeah, that he's he really part of. Save it, he could have done that. <laughs> well, but it does make him part of this famous story, yeah, which yeah, he usually yeah. isn't. Yeah. He's also manning a cannon at Bladensburg. Yeah, yeah. yeah none of these um, children, grandchildren, do have military service, which is the thing that brings George Washington, of course, to our attention. But uh, you know, Jackie is kept out of the army, and then he tragically he dies in Yorktown in 1781 of a fever, and then um, Wash, Wash shows up at Bladensburg and wants to serve, but he has rheumatism, so he can't actually hold a mus musket or rifle. Well, he did technically have a commission mm -hmm. um, that he that George Washington got for him in 1799 when the quasi-war mm -hmm. looked like it was going to break out. Yeah. So he did a little bit of drilling right, yeah, um yeah. and you know he had a uniform he was very excited about the uniform mm -hmm. um he had a sword mm -hmm. that george washington gave him which he later gave to robert e lee wow. but he never actually the only mm -hmm. action he sees right is at bladensburg where he goes but he's not yeah. um actually officially enlisted it's a fascinating story. We're talking with Cassandra Good, historian, writer, author of First Family about the Washington descendants and their lives in the early Republic. And a lot of terrific stories in this. We've, you've given you a chance to tell a lot of them. Any others we should um, tease people with or to get them? And we don't want to give everything away that's in the book because it's such a great book filled with great stories. Well, I think that there's some good stories about George Washington's courtship advice to his yes, granddaughters that humanize him. And, you know, mm -hmm. people can read that in the book and even see a picture of one of those letters um, mm -hmm. because he actually gives individualized courtship advice to his yes. granddaughters. He recognizes there's particular traits. And Nellie is the one who's saying she's determined to be a spinster yes. is what she says. And he's yeah. like, not so fast. You can't control whether you fall in love. That's right. And so that correspondence is really great. Yeah. And she marries a man who's a, a surprise to them that he is Lawrence is the one she falls in love with. Yeah. And it's a little hard to understand because frankly, she could have, she had a lot of options. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I do think part of it with Lawrence came down to the fact that he was related to the family and that she'd mm -hmm. be able to stay close to Mount Vernon. Yeah. Um, the other thing that happens, she had been sort of turning him down repeatedly, and then he gets a commission in the army and she thinks he's going to leave. And that's mm -hmm. the point at which she's uh, like, oh, wait. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think from what I can tell later, it's not necessarily a happy marriage. Yeah. He is not the kind of, she has not had the kind of education that mm -hmm. she had. He's not an intellectual. She mm -hmm. wants to live in the city. He doesn't. Yeah. So, and after he dies, there's never, I never see a mention of him again in her papers. Wow. Wow. How much longer does she live after he passes? She lives more than a decade afterwards. Wow, wow. And you have an interesting story when Lafayette visits that she strikes and renews her relationship, her friendship with George Washington Lafayette. And Lafayette as another of these adopted sons of Washington and George Washington Lafayette had lived in Mount Vernon in the 1790s and then comes back in the 1820s. And she's writing these letters to, to and about him saying, no one's ever looked at me with those eyes except my grandmother. I mean, we're thinking back on 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these letters, they are long and they're emotional. Mm -hmm. And there are times where she says, don't worry, nobody else is seeing this letter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wrote a whole book on friendships between men and women. And so, you know, I'm not going to jump to say that there's a physical relationship here, but I do think she at the very least had a crush on him at this Mm -hmm. stage. And, you know, she's in an unhappy marriage and here's this guy who apparently is treating her differently. And, you know, he's married, he's going back to France. There's Mm -hmm. nothing that's going to come of this, but um, she keeps up these long letters to him for a few years. Mm. Wow. And they're both middle-aged people at this time with families and all sorts of... I mean, that doesn't mean that nothing happened. It's still possible, but... Well, again, in your uh, book on founding friendships, you talk a lot about these relationships that people have that I think we jump to a lot of conclusions today from this. Um, I I should also mention that Cassandra Good also has produced the great courses, um, course on America's founding women, which is well worth watching. And um, so tremendous way of looking at this period and finding out things we about people we thought we knew, these human relationships between and among these various individuals in this period. Um, So uh, anything else we should talk? I mean, we could go on all day, but I know you have a life to get to. And um, Yeah, no, I really appreciated the conversation. And um, I hope people will think more about historical figures in the context of their families and not just in isolation. That's true. That's that's the where we all live. So I want to thank Cassandra Good for joining us, author of First Family, as well as Founding Friendships and the Great Courses uh, series, America's Founding Women. And I want to thank Jonathan Lane, who is our producer and our and many friends and listeners around the world. You know, we thought we'd have a handful of folks around Massachusetts listening in, but we have listeners in Brisbane, Australia, and both Plymouth in Montserrat and Plymouth in Massachusetts, and in Sudbury, Massachusetts, Nuremberg, Delhi, India, and Escanaba, Michigan, and places between and beyond. If you're one of these places, send Jonathan Lane an email, jlane at revolution250.org. We'll send you one of our Revolution 250 tchotchkes. And I want to thank Cassandra again, Professor Good, I should say. And um, now we will be piped out on the road to Boston.